Hey, thanks for tuning in to the First Monroe podcast. For more information on our church, visit firstmonroe.com. We hope you enjoy. If you have your Bible this morning, I'd like you to turn or click to Genesis chapter 3. Has anybody ever heard of the phrase, the old bait and switch? The old bait and switch. This is typically a tactic used by stores or companies to tempt you into something, um, maybe with a really, really good deal. And then when you get there, it usually doesn't pan out to be what it's supposed to be. And so it ends up being something that's uh, not as good or you get ripped off. I was thinking about it this week. You know who's really good at the the old bait and switch? And I don't want to just generalize this too much, so I hope no one takes offense to this, is wives. Wives are really good at the good old bait and switch. My wife is actually home. Our kids are sick, so I guess I can say that. So uh, nobody say say anything to her since she's home sick with or the kids are sick. But um, I was thinking about this week. So like even Kirsten and I were laughing about it this week. So uh, it was Tuesday afternoon. I was getting ready to to head home, and so I called her. I said, "Hey, what are we eating tonight for supper?" So we were talking about what we were going to cook, and. I told her, I said, hey, look, I can run by the store right when I get done. She says, well, that'd be great. I said, or I can come home, I can get the kids, and then you can go, and, you know, if you want to go somewhere, whatever you want to do. She's like, no, that's fine. You just go. We just need, like, three things, so we already have some stuff. And I was like, are you sure? I'll come home. I'll watch the kids. You can go. She says, no, 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 I want you to go. I want you to go. I just, we just need three things. Awesome. The moment I step foot into Brookshire's. I get a text message from my wife of 20 things that we need from the grocery store. I looked at it, and I immediately called her, and I was like, I'm not getting all of these things. I said, look, I told you I was coming here to get three things. There's no way. She's like, well, James, you're already there. I mean, we don't want to go back. You might as well just get them while you're here. And I'm like, the old bait and switch. I was like, you tricked me. I was like, you tricked me. And so I was like, man, here I am at Brookshire's, and now I'm having to get literally everything. And so... Uh, we, my wife and I, we were actually joking about it this week. I said, you know exactly how to, 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 to hook me in. And I'm thinking, yep, I'm just getting just a thing of milk and I have to get everything else. Don't tell her I said that. So um, even though I told her I was going to say this story. But that's, for sometimes that just happens in our life. And it may just be something that's simple. But, but some of us have probably been baited and switched to the point where it has been fraud or a scam. And it's been something that's been not funny. It's been something serious. Well, here's the reality is every single one of us and what we'll look at this morning has been baited and switched to the utmost degree with sin. And one of the things that we'll see actually this morning when we look in Genesis chapter 3 is the greatest bait and switch of all time. Of this trick that Satan plays to bait and switch Adam and Eve into tempting, temptation, deception, and to sin. And what we see take place in Genesis chapter 3 is this great, great deception that takes place. And one of the things that we'll see is obviously the original sin. Uh, We'll see obviously when Adam and Eve as they sin. But not not only will we see Adam and Eve in the original sin, but we'll also see ourselves. Because one of the things that Genesis 3 is a picture of, if not just the original sin, historically stating, but it's also us. I mean, to think about the pattern that takes place in Genesis chapter 3 is something that takes place in our life over and over and over and over again. And so here here is the main idea I want to give you this morning. And really, it's kind of a challenge that we'll see coming out of Genesis chapter 3, and that is this, is do not be deceived by the bait and switch of sin. Do not be deceived by the bait and switch of sin. This is one of the things that sin does. It baits us into thinking that can give us something that it will never give us. This is the the huge problem with sin. 
is that it baits you into thinking that it will give you something, that it will give you exactly what it promises to give you. And what we'll see in this story is it does not, but not only does it to Adam and Eve, but it does the same thing for us. Here's what I know about all of us. Is that all of us in this room struggle with sin. If you say that you don't, either you're a person that's older and you're super in your sanctification process, or you're a liar. That all of us in this room, and actually Scripture tells us we've all sinned, and so sin is a struggle in our life. And let me just say this, as I studied this text this week, for me just thinking through it in our own life of, man, to think how often we are deceived into sin. Sometimes even that we don't even know about it. And let me just say this, and I hope it's challenging and encouraging for you this morning as we look at this challenge that we are not, don't be deceived by it. Now let me give you this and then we'll read the text. And let me just say this. Here's going to be a temptation that you're going to have this morning. Here's one of the problems with sin. Is that sin makes you more disgusted with other people's sins than your own. And there's there's this tendency that we have is that sometimes we're more disgusted at other people's sins than our own. And so one of the things I want to encourage you is there's going to be a temptation as you're hearing this. You're like, I hope so-and-so's listening. You may even nod your husband. I hope he's listening. I hope she's listening. I, you know what? So-and-so's not here today. I'm sure going to send them the podcast this week because they sure need to listen. Let me just say this. There's going to be a temptation for you to think that. And let me just say this. Don't give in to that temptation. That as we talk through sin and temptation and deception, I don't want you to think of anybody else except yourself. To think about how, is, how are you being tempted or, or maybe what sin are you giving into in your life. And as we walk through this text and this challenge of not so-and-so, whoever it may be, but to think about your own self. This is the disgusting thing of sin is it blinds us to our own sin and it makes us elevate others. To think that other people's sin are a whole lot more horrific than our own. And so let me just say that before I read that, that be aware of this temptation we had this morning. So you, you should have your Bible turned to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to walk through verses 1 through 7, and I'll read those, and then we'll jump into the text. It says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to desire to to make one wise, she took the fruit, she ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate And then their eyes were both opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. One of the things that we've seen uh, really through this book of Genesis, we obviously, if you know this, we hadn't gotten super far. We're just now in Genesis chapter 3. But one of the things that we've seen is that God is the creator and the sustainer of all things. Everything that you see and don't see, that God, as we saw, spoke all of these things into existence spoke it into existence and even now sustains all of creation. He spoke it by the word of his power. One of the things that's stated over and over again throughout scripture is that behold, it was good. Everything that God creates is good. 
at the center and really at the high point of creation, he creates humanity, he creates Adam and Eve. He creates the only thing to bear God's image. They are to be responsible to God. They're to reflect and to glorify God. They're to be in a relationship with God and they're to be in a relationship with one another. They're to have dominion and authority over all the earth and the things of the earth. And so God is, is as we looked at last or the last time in, in chapter two, it ends and everything is perfect. It's paradise. Then you turn to Genesis chapter 3 and it all just comes crumbling down. One of the things I want us to do this morning as we walk through this passage, that's literally what we're going to do. We're just going to walk through it and then at the end I want to give us kind of some points of application for us to to think through about how we can not be deceived by sin. But one of the things the way this starts out is look back in verse 1. It says this. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Now, we're not exactly sure how long this took place. Uh, but one of the things that we see from chapter 2 to chapter 3 is that this new character shows up. It's the serpent. Now, we, we've seen this as we looked in one of the weeks about, we looked at the problem of evil, Satan. And so if you go back to our podcast, we have that. But in the New Testament, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, it tells us very clearly who this serpent is, and it's Satan. Satan, we don't necessarily know how he got here or, or what took place. All we know is that he showed up. And one of the things that to note, and I want you just to notice this, it says this, it describes this serpent for us, and it says this, that it was more crafty than any other beast of this field. Now, this word crafty, you could translate this word to, to mean shrewd, or it's this, it carries this idea of being able to notice danger or things that lurk in the darkness. This can be something that could be a good thing, or it could be something that's a bad thing, and we see Satan is going to exploit this for a bad thing. Now, you're not going to notice this in your English text, But if you were to look in Hebrew, back in the very end of chapter 2, it says this, that the wife and the man were both naked. The word for naked and the word for shrewd, if you align them in the Hebrew, look almost identical. Now, this is on purpose. Meaning this, that it seems to to indicate that they were very naive and they they, they didn't know evil. They didn't know temptation. They had never known any of this. And so Satan sees an opening that he can enter into to be able to tempt them and hopefully because of how naive they are. That they aren't aware of things that are lurking around them. And so Satan's going to exploit this. Another thing to note is, notice this, this creature is something created. Meaning this, that Adam and Eve are to exercise authority and dominion over this thing. And actually they don't have to do anything it says. It's something that's subordinate in creation. It's not God. They're actually to exercise dominion over it. But actually what you see is they actually do not do any of those things. They actually begin to listen. And the serpent comes and basically proposes a question. Look at the question. It says this, And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He poses this question to get them thinking. Now I want you to notice this and to see this. Satan never directly denies God's commands. This is one of the things that's real crafty about Satan is that he knows how to twist and distort God's Word, even if it's subtly. I mean, even remember, uh, I think this is scary for us to think about. Satan knows God's Word. If you remember in, you remember when Jesus was tempted for 40 days, when he went, was fasting 40 days? Remember, Satan comes and he actually uses different things from the Psalms, biblical passages and uses them, but yet slightly twists them in order to obviously not take it out of complete context and to use it to exploit Jesus. And so this is something that we need to be aware of is that Satan knows scripture and he knows how to twist it and distort it. And one of the questions that he poses is like, did God actually say, because here's what he wants. He wants him to begin to question what God has said. Now, 
we can just pause here. Why would they question anything God said? Up to this point, everything that God has created has been what? Good. It's been perfect. Why would you question anything that God has done? But yet you see he's trying to do this. And here's really at the level of a lot of temptation that Satan does is this question that God's holding out on you. That God's withholding something from you. So he's wanting them to begin to question. So he asks this question and Eve responds. The problem with Eve's response is it's not a good one. Uh, Eve did not know the commandment very well. Or if she did, she maybe got tricked. I'm not sure, but she does not repeat it very well. I want you to look what, see what it says. Verse 2. It says, the woman, the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the tree, any of the trees, the fruits of the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now she kind of gets it kind of right, but here's the problem with Eve, is she actually adds to it, and she actually takes something away. So, so here's what she does. She says, Look, we can eat of it. She says, But we can't eat of the, insinuating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God had told them not to eat of. But she says this, and neither shall you touch it. God, if you go back to chapter 2 and check this, God never added that. God never said that, that they couldn't touch this tree. But she adds it on to this, saying, hey, God said that you couldn't do this. Now, obviously, Satan immediately is like, huh, God, he knew God didn't say that. But then afterward, he says, least you die. She actually lessens something. Now, if you go back to chapter 2, it says this, that God says, you will surely die, meaning this. There's no question. If you disobey and eat of this fruit, you will die, most certainly die. What she says is almost this, you most likely will die. She begins to lessen what the penalty is for this. Now, let me just say this. This is, again, we'll do this along the way, stop and make a few notes. This is why the Bible is so critical and so emphasizes so much why you and I are not to add to God's word or to take it away. What God has said is God's word. And there's a tendency for us in, in our sin, in our questioning, to twist, to doubt, to lessen, to take things away from what God has said. And let me just say this. This is a dangerous place when you and I begin to add things to what God has said or we begin to subtract what God has said. God has been very clear in what he's given us in his word. And here is one of the things that she begins to take something away and then add to it. So then the serpent responds. He sees his end, and so he takes it. Look what he says. But the serpent says to the woman, you will not surely die. This is one of the greatest lies of Satan, is that there will be no punishment for disobedience. You won't die. You can do whatever you want. Do you really think the God of love would punish you? Do you really think he would banish you? Do you really think he would separate you? Do you really think that, that it's sin and the penalty? Do you really think that it would be that way? Can I say this as your pastor and just as knowing that as a pastor, one of my calls is to shepherd the flock of God and protect the flock of God. Let me just say this, just to dig into this for just a second. You need to be very aware that there are pastors and teachers and churches they're doing the exact same thing. There are pastors and teachers and churches all over the place that will not talk about sin. You can listen to their sermons, you can listen to their messages, you can go to the churches, and they never talk about sin ever. There are pastors and teachers that will go on, to, and I've heard multiple of them of interviews saying, hey, you know, Jesus is basically the same thing, no matter what religion you go to. 
Basically, you just believe whatever you need to believe, and essentially it's all going to be Jesus, and you're all essentially going to go. I heard the other day this, this teacher teaching, and basically was saying that there's no way that God would ever send anyone to hell, and that eventually everyone will all be saved. There's been books written about this, that eventually everyone will be saved. Let me just say this. This is all satanic, and this is all straight from the pit of hell. There is penalty for sin. That's exactly what Satan wants you to believe, is that there is no penalty. You won't suffer the consequences. There won't be judgment. Jesus won't send people to hell. Like, that is exactly what he wants you to... I mean, look, this is exactly what he does in the garden. He begins to say, you won't die. There's no penalty for this. And let me just say this, this is why... As, as, as teacher of the word, as a church, we have to talk about sin. We have to clearly be explicit about what sin is. God is not vague about sin, and here's why. Because if you don't talk about sin or you lessen sin, you end up lessening the gospel. Because he, he, Here's why. Because you know what makes God's grace and God's love and God's mercy so good is because you and I are so bad. That's, that's why Jesus, as we celebrate it, that's why he had to go and brutally be murdered on a cross is because you and I, our sin is that wicked. It's that disgusting. It, 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 it demanded a payment, and that's why Jesus had to go and pay for it. That's why he was resurrected to conquer. I mean, sin is a humongous deal. And let me just, I know it's not popular to begin to talk about sin and to call sin out. And let me just say this. Our culture, many have tried to attack the church. Like, you can't address that. You can't talk about that. Let me just say this. While in the future things may get rough, as a church we can never sacrifice talking about sin. Because when you talk about sin and talk about how wicked and sinful we really are, it begins to glorify the mercy and the love and the goodness of our God that was willing to pay for it. If you lessen and don't talk about sin, you lessen the gospel. And so let me just say this. This is one of the greatest lies that you and I cannot believe, and it is going around like crazy. It's just exactly what Satan says. You won't surely die. Satan goes on. He says this. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He goes in and begins to actually wrap this thing, similar to God is holding out of you. If you eat it, God doesn't want you to eat it because he knows if you eat it, you're going to be like him. You're going to know things that you didn't previously know. You're going to have access to this deeper spiritual knowledge about God. If you access it, this is the way to access it. And God doesn't want you to to do that. He doesn't want you to be equal with him. He doesn't want you to be what he is. And so one of the things that he begins to tempt him with or tempt her and him with is that this idea of knowledge. I would say this. We're obsessed with knowledge. I listened to this podcast. um, It's been a couple weeks ago. It's, uh, the podcast name is Cultish. And uh, it, in this, it, 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 he, they discuss this thing called the New Age, uh, the New Age religion. And let me just say this. It's really scary about how all these people are bringing these spiritual things and, and really this New Age is really filled with satanic and demonic things. But they're making them these spiritual things, these things to connect and get deeper knowledge of who God is. And let me just say this. The Bible has been very clear about how you and I receive knowledge of God. He, he actually goes into this, and actually down later, Eve, Eve, when she looks at it, she says she desired, she saw that it was desired to make one, one wise. The Bible is actually very clear about how you and I have this deeper knowledge and deeper wisdom of God. And it's stated in Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
Fools despise wisdom and destruction. He's actually very clear. You want deeper knowledge of who God is? Fear Him. Trust Him. Submit to Him. Do what He says. Uh, Stand in awe of who God is. If you want deeper access and deeper knowledge into God, it's not disobeying God. It's by obeying Him. It's by being reverent to Him. It's by worshiping Him. It's by submitting to Him. But yet He tricks them into thinking that that you can be your own God. You, you, You... Notice this, and this, I, let me just, I, I, I just, all these things are just coming to my mind, but all these things, even in our culture, they're masking all of this in spiritual things. I think sometimes we think, sometimes Satan, some of his best temptation, it's going to be very clear to us, and all of a sudden you're going to look at it and you be like, wow, that's satanic right there. Do you know he masks it in spiritual things? You'll actually be like God and know God more. That's scary, isn't it? That he masked this thing in something that seems to be spiritual. Something that seems to be this thing, but yet he's, he's saying what he's wanting to do is to take their eyes off of God, submitting and trusting God, and to focus on their self. Exactly what Satan did. And then it goes down and it says this, after Satan has said these things, it says verse 6, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took the fruit. Do you notice how this sin and this temptation, this deception begins to appeal to her senses? That's what sin does. Sin is sin, and temptation is tempting because it tempts us with our flesh. It pulls on our desires, it pulls on our insecurities, it pulls on our sexuality, it pulls visually with beauty, with power, with pleasure. It pulls on these things so that we feel like there is something that we're not getting that can meet our needs, that can make us happy. This word, when it says she took the fruit, it's the same word for covet. She thought that if she got this thing that it would complete something within her. Now we've already seen this in chapter 2. She's complete. She has complete and utter perfect identity in God. She doesn't need anything else, but yet in this tempting, it's drawing on these personal desires that maybe she's lacking something. You and I all know this, don't we? I mean, that's what makes sin so tempting, right? It's because it pulls on desires that we have. It pulls on things within our life. It pulls, like, to think, maybe I need that or I need it. Pulls on sin. It's not just this obsolete thing. It pulls on things within our life. And that's exactly this woman. It began to pull on her senses and she began to t- take it. And it says this When the woman saw the tree was good for food, it was a light to the eyes, the tree would be desired to make one wise. It says she took it, she ate of it, and then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Let me just pause. Hold up. Where in the world has Adam been? That dude's been MIA. You just you briefly get he was actually the text says he was with her the whole time. Man, if I can just dig in for a second. Is that okay? This is what happens when men forsake their responsibility to God and to others. This is what happened when men sit on the sideline. People get harmed. The church get destroyed, communities get destroyed. When men sit idly by and do not take their responsibility with God and to others seriously, everyone else suffers. Now, now, we see this in creation. 
men and women are created equally. Both bear the image of God. But one of the things, even as you look in marriage, they're given different roles and different tasks within that role while being equal at the same time. Men are, are to, to shepherd. Men are to, to lead and to, to spiritually lead. And one of the things that you see is here's what, here's what it looks like when men don't take their responsibility seriously. One of the things that we, we've said this, you know, and this is one of the big things that's like going on in our culture. And this isn't just like spiritual. This is just is sex trafficking. You know, you know the number one reason or the number one thing that fuels sex trafficking? It's pornography. I was reading this book one time. It's called Sleeping Giant by Kenny Luck. He's a, he used to be the men's guy at Saddleback Church. And in this book, one of the things that he's talking about, he was at this conference, and these people were talking about sex trafficking and all these different things they could do. And he stood up and he says, look, I'm trying, I don't want to um, disregard anything you're saying, but really the solution's rather simple. It's not easy, but the solution's simple. If you start getting men healthy, get men spiritually and connected to God and connected to one another, a lot of these problems you're seeing would begin to go away. Why? Because a lot of these problems are fueled by men. And let me just say this, guys. Here is why in the fall we're going to have a men's retreat is because we need to get men healthy. We need to get men connected to God and connected to one another and get healthy and get in community and so that we can do the things that God's called us to do. Adam should have stepped up. I don't know if he had a sword or not. But he should have had it and just chopped the serpent's head off right there and says, absolutely not. But you see, he steps back and just sits on the sidelines and you see what habit. Because notice this, when, we'll see this next time. When God comes to look for someone, guess who he looks for? He doesn't go to Eve, he goes to Adam and says, why did this happen? The responsibility lied with Adam and yet he forsook his responsibility. Guys, I, I need to get off that. But let me just say this, this is what happens. This is why we have to take our responsibilities seriously because havoc is wreaked when we do not. After they eat, it says this, they both took, they both ate, and it says this, that both of their eyes were opened. They knew that they were naked. They began to sew fig leaves together and they made for themselves loincloth. The ultimate bait and switch, they thought that it was going to give them something and when they immediately, when they took of it in sin, they realized very quickly that they had been fooled. It did not give them what they promised. They did get knowledge. They didn't realize it was going to be bad knowledge. They didn't know they were going to understand what shame. We'll see this next time, but go down in verse 8. They begin to run and hide from God. How in the world, knowing that this is how they were created to glorify Him, yet you see them running from, from God? The only thing that's good and the only thing that's, that's created them. This is a question I've been asking all week. Is how in the world can we prevent ourselves from doing the same thing? Here's what's easy for us to do. Adam and Eve, man, they were not smart. They should have recognized. You know, you and I do the exact same thing. We're just not sitting in a garden. And there may not be a physical snake in front of us. The same thing happens. That we bind to this deception and lie about sin. I would say this for all of us in this room. Now, we won't do this, so don't get nervous, right? But if we were to one by one step up and our sins were to be portrayed on that... That screen, of course, you'd be like, yeah, please don't do that, right? There are probably some sins that would begin to pop up in our life that they've literally plagued our entire life. And there are things as we think about sin, and as I was just walking to Genesis chapter 3, to think about sin and just how it has not only destroyed everything here, but how even it destroys our own life. 
destroys relationships, it destroys marriages, it destroys friendships. I mean, just to think how, how much it wreaks havoc in our life. And how can we, as believers, hopefully begin to resist this bait and switch of temptation and sin in our life? And so I think there's, I want to give us some things of application to help us. And I think it is this, in a sense, to expose the truth. Two things that I think that need to happen in this if we're going to not give in to the bait and switch of sin. So number one is this. We need to see the truth about sin. We need to see the truth and the reality of what sin really is. Not to believe that it could be something, but to see it for actually what it is. So, so in life, in, in things that, and when we're tempted, when things come at us, and I'll say for many of us, we know a lot of us may know areas and, and ways that temptation comes into our life. And when it comes, we need to expose sin at the get-go. Several things that I want to make note of of what sin is. So one of them is this. Sin is a disregard of a relationship. Sin is bigger than just breaking a rule. I think this is one of the lies that we've bought into when we think about sin, is we think that sin is merely just breaking a commandment or just breaking a rule. You know what? Rules are just meant to be broken, right? I'm sure knowing you have that mentality, right? That's what sometimes... I mean, it's just a rule, right? Here's the problem, is that when we begin to reduce sin to just breaking a mere rule, we've missed the whole point of sin. Francis Chan said it best. He says it this way. He says, It's not that we choose to do things that God forbids, but we choose things over God. It's this understanding. I mean, look at what their, their sin was not necessarily... We don't know if it was an apple or what it was. And the reason why they think it's an apple is because the, Latin, the way the Latin word looks, it looks similar, and so that's why people think it's an apple. It most likely wasn't an apple. But whatever it was, as they, as they took it and as they ate of it, it's this thing. It wasn't just because they just broke this rule. They chose something over God. They chose not to trust in God. They chose not to be in relationship with God. They chose this, God, I know better than you. God, I know what's better for my life. And so they begin to choose these things. And really what they're doing is not just breaking a rule, they're breaking a relationship. I think we know this. I, like I remember when I was a kid and mom would tell me to do something. And as a kid, if I didn't do what mom had said, I remember mom would get on to me. And then when dad got home from work, he would get on to me. And when he got on to me, I remember he would make this statement a lot. Why did you do that to your mom? And it was this connection of that when I disobeyed a rule that mom said, it wasn't just a rule, but I actually disregarded my mom. And it's the same thing with truth and with sin. When you sin, it's not just you're just breaking a mere rule. It's a disregard completely of a relationship with God. That's what it is ultimately what sin is. It's disregard of a relationship. For some of us, we want to reduce it to a rule because for some of us in this place, we could be rule keepers. And so we like to have our neat rules. For some of us, it, you may be the, hey, rules were made to be broken. doesn't matter which way you side on. Sin is, we cannot, and this is a deception, we cannot believe that sin is just a rule. Number two thing that we see about sin is that sin always seeks to undermine and twist God's word. We, we've already seen this as we walk through this passage, but this is what Satan does, even as Eve stumbles through these commands, is there's this seeking to distort and to twist of what God has said. Let me just say this for all of us. This is why we need to be in God's Word and to read God's Word. Because temptation will seek to twist it and distort it. There, there's so many people in our world that take Scripture, even I, I've done it, is that we take Scripture and we take it completely out of context and we just use it however we want in our life. There, there, there's this guy, 
uh, I can't remember his full name, but, but he and it was about homosexuality. And I, I watched this. Um, he's a guy, he's a Christian, professing Christian guy who's homosexual. And I watched this, I think it was like an hour and a half, and he walks through the Old Testament and New Testament to prove biblically why homosexuality is not a sin. Walks through the entire Bible. How can you do that? Well, that's one of the things that sin seeks to do. It seeks to take God's Word and to twist it, to, to, to turn it and to distort it. And that's one of the things we need to remember is that it seeks for us to question God, God holding out on us. Is there something more that I can have? Sin always seeks to undermine and twist God's Word. But the last thing about sin is this, that sin always leads to, to shame, to separation, and death. Every single time. You've probably heard this quote by Ravi Zacharias is this. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Sin promises life, wisdom, pleasure, joy, fulfillment, satisfaction, but yet all it will give you is shame, separation, and death every single time. That's why it's so tempting. Is because it promises to give us something it can never give us. It's kind of like, you know, like the prescription commercials you see. It's like, fix this, but then you'll also have diarrhea and vomiting and, you know, all these things. Like you just, and you're like, I don't know if I want that. It's like I fix one problem, but yet, you know, I get 50 more problems. You know what I'm saying? But, but, but you're like, yeah, I'll pass on that medication. Uh, I'll take, I just won't take anything. But, just think about it. If sin came to you right in the moment, let's just say sin was a person, and if sin came to you in the moment of temptation and says, hey, I just want to let you know, like, this is going to wreck your life. Um, your marriage is going to be destroyed. Uh, your friends are going to hate you. Um, this is going to destroy relationships that you have. This is going to cost you a lot in your life. You want to try? We'd be like, nah, I'll pass. I don't want that. But here's what's crazy is we do it anyway. All of us know this. All of us know what sin leads to, don't we? For, for, for all of our lives, how is it that we constantly give in to this deception? That we think that for once it will finally give us what it promises. And every single time it never does. It actually usually leaves us wanting more. It never truly satisfies us. So I think one of the things we need to do is we need to expose the truth about sin, but you can't stop there. If you stop there, it's not sufficient enough. Number two is you and I have to see this. Number two, we have to see that Jesus is better than sin. If you and I want to get out of this mode of, of giving in to all these temptations and sin, then we have to see that Jesus Christ is better than sin. Have you ever noticed this about kids? Have you ever noticed that kids want whatever's right in front of them? Like they have no perception of like waiting or anything. Uh, Piper is this way. If Piper wants something, she wants it immediately. Even if we say, Piper, wait till five. She's gotten this thing where she says five minutes. She, she just thinks in five minutes, and then she can get it. And so we'll say five minutes, and she's like, now. I mean, she wants things now. But what's funny is you and I are the same way too, right? I mean, we instant gratification. I remember my SCA director had this sign in his office, and I remember it to this day, and I think this applies to sin every single time. It says, the reason why most people fail instead of succeed is because they trade what they want most for what they want in the moment. 
And I'll say this, for, this applies to a lot of different things in life, but, but uh, practically to sin is that we trade what we want most for what we want at the moment. There's this instant gratification that we want from sin. Uh, the other day we had, Piper was at our house. It was, Curse's birthday was at the end of March, and so we had a birthday cake. Piper didn't know this, but we had a birthday cake. Well, right before we were going to eat cake that night, she, she, we had this certain like candy drawer, and so she went over to the candy drawer and she wanted this piece of candy. And if she wanted this candy, we kept telling her, like, no, you can't have that. We can't have that piece of candy. Here's why. We knew in our back of our minds, she's about to see cake, and she's going to want cake. But she, but she couldn't. She was like, I want this piece of candy. I want this piece of candy. Like, I want this piece of candy. And I remember we, we kept saying, like, no, 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 you can't. Not now, not now. And she kept, now, now, now. And so here was the solution. We went over and got the cake. We opened up the cake, and we let her look at the cake. In that moment, she dropped the piece of candy, didn't care about the candy, and she wanted the cake. Now, let me just say this. Did she forget about the candy? Absolutely not. She just found something that was better. It was cake. It's the same thing for our life. Here's why last week we looked at Revelation chapter 5. And we looked at this beautiful picture that Jesus is the all-satisfying Savior, that He is worthy, that He is to be valued above anything else in our life. Because the moment we see that Jesus is more valuable than anything else in our life, it begins to free us and let our hands go from the things that we so cling to, the sin and the things that we so cling to in our life. For all of us in this room, I know, I know this. I know this. Even as you walked in this room, like I know that there is sin and there may be things that in your life. And maybe it's this question of I've struggled with it over and over and over again. I can't quit doing this. I can't quit thinking. That. Like, it's just these constant things. And here's what I believe more than anything, and this is why I said this last week, is when we recognize the beauty and the glory of Jesus, like this is why we need that so much. Because I believe this, when you see the glory of the all-satisfying Savior, it begins to fix everything in our life. To think that there's nothing that, that, that sin could give us that Jesus hasn't already given us in Him. That Jesus is the thing that can satisfy our hearts and our souls and our worries and all the things in our life. That He is the thing that we're to value. He is the thing that we're to long for. I mean, to, to think about this is that, that Jesus, every place that we've failed in sin, Jesus succeeded. Jesus was tempted by Satan, but yet He never gave in one time. We give in every single time, but yet we see Jesus never. He succeeds where all of us have failed. And then the beauty as we celebrated last week, he goes to the cross, he offers up his life in exchange for ours. He is brutally murdered. He's resurrected on the third day to provide us a way for our sin to be covered and our sin to be vanquished. It's not just, it's not just something for down the road in heaven, it's for now. Scripture is very clear, you're free. You don't have to keep giving in to those things. You don't have to keep running to those things. Jesus is enough. This is the thing that I kept telling myself over and over again. is like, that is what I need more than anything. Jesus, I need, I need to see that you're more valuable. I need to see that you're better. There's a, in Psalm 119, there's this prayer that I love to pray. It says, says Lord, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Lord, I need you to turn my eyes from the things in my life, these worthless things, and I need you to lift my eyes to see the thing that is most worthy, the thing that is all satisfying, the thing that can fix everything in my life. Look, I know this, and I'll pray for us.
I guess I can say this. I don't know. I better not. There's kids here. Sin stinks. I'll say it that way. Sin stinks. I hate it. I hate sin. I hate how when it seems like you got it whipped and then you don't. I hate how sin rears its head in my life. I hate how it disrupts my life. I hate it. I was thinking about yesterday, I was outside swinging with Piper yesterday and I was just thinking about life and this sermon and sin. And and it's like the Lord just said, you know one day it's all going to be fixed, right? You know one day sin will literally be no more. Man, what a glorious day that will be. In the time being, I'm thankful that He gives us His Holy Spirit. He gives us everything that is needed for us to not be enslaved to sin anymore. Let me just say this. If you are enslaved to sin today, you don't have to be. Jesus, as the song says, can break literally every chain. My prayer this morning is that if you entered in this place burdened by sin, then you would see that Jesus can lighten that load. Jesus actually took it from you as He went to the cross. Let's pray.